So The Flash is going to be in theaters in a few weeks. And I've made my stance very clear on the Ezra Miller situation in the past. I've said, and I'll say it again, he should be recast for the actions and the things that he's done behind the scenes. I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with what I'm talking about. If you don't, read it up. It's, uh, it's out there. With that being said, I would not be surprised if he isn't recast as The Flash. And I will not be surprised if he continues playing the character. Why do I say that? Well, if we look at history in Hollywood, there have been a lot of actors who have been convicted of crimes or under the investigation of crimes committed, and they have still continued to work in the industry. And it's not even like they've been fired from things and they come back 10 years later. It's that, no, they're continuing to work, they're continuing to get jobs, whilst going through investigations for sometimes very horrible things. Now, on the flip side, I'll, I'll, I'll give some credit where credit is due. It's not always like that. You have people like Harvey Weinstein. Once all, the, once all the stuff about him was coming out, he was quickly taken out of Hollywood. Rightfully so. But with the Ezra Miller situation, I've said it, and, and I predict that I think he is going to continue playing The Flash. I have a funny feeling that this film is going to do very well, critically and box office-wise. And on all accounts, it's a very good movie. Some people are calling it the best comic book film of all time. I think that's a little um, much. But at the very least, we can expect a very good DC film, which is which. Uh, there's been few and far between the last couple of years. And the thing about media, news, you know, this podcast, the general audiences don't read, read up on these kind of things. They don't understand these stories. So a lot of the people that are going to see The Flash, they have no idea about anything in, in regards to Ezra Miller and, and what he's done and things like that. So if they enjoy the film, they're going to say, wow, I want to see him again. I want to see The Flash again. When's the next one coming out, right? And for the people that do know what's going on, for the people that do follow this stuff, a lot of times people just forget. People say, ah, you know, that was a couple of years ago and, you know, he's changed now. So, and look, people make mistakes, obviously, but there's, there's a degree to that. This guy put people's life in danger. He harmed people. And I don't think he should continue playing the character. That's not to say in 8 to 10 years he can't make a comeback after self-treatment and after identifying his own personal issues. I think everybody, not everybody, I think a lot of people deserve a second chance after they've gone through the steps to earn that second chance. If somebody continues to commit wrongdoings and there's no punishment and you just continue to let them, you know, in this case, play this character. This is a privilege. You're playing the Flash. You're playing a iconic superhero character. This is a privilege that you have been given. Of, of course, you're Ezra Miller is a very talented actor. Go watch Perks of Being a Wallflower. He's incredible in that. I'm not taking anything away. I'm not saying he didn't earn the part, but I'm saying at the end of the day, it's a privilege to get the part. The studio, the director, the producers, they give you the part. 
and if there's no action being taken, then who's to say that this won't continue happening? Who's to say that Ezra Miller will not continue doing bad things? We saw a couple of years ago when he choked that lady on video, no action was taken. Six, seven months, a year later, everything in Hawaii went down and then all the other reports and things like that. So why am I talking about this? Why am I bringing up the Ezra Miller thing again and again and again and again? Well, Andy Muschietti, the director of The Flash, was recently doing an interview on a podcast. And sooner or later, somebody from the press is going to ask about Ezra Miller. It's just, it's, 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 a, it's the elephant in the room. There's no way around it. Press for this movie is going to be weird. Every other actor is going to be doing press except for Ezra Miller. And there's no way, even as even if you're a part of the film, there's no way that you can do an interview and not expect a question regarding Ezra Miller. It's just it's there's no dancing around it, and that's exactly what was happening in this in this podcast. The interviewer was asking, uh, or rather asked Andy Muschietti about Ezra Miller, and I'm going to read the article here. This comes from the Hollywood Reporter, and uh, and this is what he had to say in regards to Ezra Miller's future playing this specific character. So it says here, with the Flash initially ready to hit the ground running, filmmaker Andy Muschietti is weighing in on whether he wanted or on whether he would want embattled star Ezra Miller involved in a possible sequel to the Warner Brothers superhero feature. It says here, Muschietti and producing partner Barbo Muschietti sat, I think that's his wife, sat down for an upcoming episode of of podcast The Disclosure of the Discourse, excuse me, I cannot fucking read today. Let me, re- let me restart. <laughs> Muschietti and producing partner Barbara Muschietti sat down for an upcoming episode of podcast, the, Dis- the Discourse podcast, ahead of the film's June 16th release. In a preview from the conversation, Andy Muschietti was asked whether he would intend to have Ezra Miller reprise the role in any future films that, that the director might helm for DC Studios' franchise. In The Flash, Ezra Miller plays two versions of Barry Allen. So this is where, this is where we get to the actual quote from Andy Muschietti. It says here, Quote, if a sequel happens, yes, he said about Miller, who uses they, them pronouns, potentially reprising Barry Allen in later projects. Quote, I don't think there's anyone that can play the character as well as they did. The other depictions of the character are great. I assume he's referring to Grant Gustin. But this particular version of the character, they just excelled in doing it. And as you said, the two Barrys, it feels like a character that was made for them. And then his wife went on. I, I assume that's his wife. I mean, they have the same last name. So who knows? it could be a sister for all I know. Uh, then his wife, it says here in the article, Barbara Muschietti similarly expressed her appreciation for Miller's work on the forthcoming film. Quote, in principal photography, Ezra was brilliant and the most committed and the most professional actor. Ezra gave everything for this role, physically, creatively, emotionally. They were absolutely supreme. So, you know, in a nutshell, this just goes back to everything I've been saying. This goes back to what I have predicted. I believe Ezra Miller will continue playing this character after the film. And I mean, look, the the director basically said it himself. Let me re- let me read what he said again. If a sequel happens, yes, he said about Miller. There you go. I won't read. Uh, I don't think there's anyone that can play that character as well as they did. That's pretty much all you need to hear. And look, on all accounts, Ezra Miller does a great job in this film. And in, in like the article stated, he's playing two Barry Allens. One from the Michael Keaton universe and then one from the current universe that we see with you know Ben Affleck and, and those 
set of heroes. And once again, this all goes back to what I've said. I think Warner Brothers is taking the approach of, if we say nothing, eventually, as time goes by, people will forget. Or maybe not people will forget, people just won't care. And at the end of the day, he's kind of right. We we, we, we see that. And I don't agree with that thought process. I'm just saying there is some truth to that. There are a lot of people that as time goes on, they just won't care. They'll turn a blind eye. They'll say, oh, well, he did this and that. I mean, well, you know, whatever. That was that was a couple of years ago. You know, things are different now. And it's sad to see because that, that, that means that the people that he that he might have harmed, you know, they're, they're, they're just... It, it's it's just like a slap in the face to them, pretty much. At least that's how I would feel. Um, but yeah, so it looks like he's going to continue playing the character, according to the director of the film. Now, he's saying if a sequel happens, apparently the, the script for the second film is already written, so clearly they have plans to make a sequel. And when James Gunn listed out half of the first chapter of his new DC universe, there was not a sequel there. But as I just said... There was only half of the projects listed. So there's still an entire half of projects that James Gunn didn't disclose in his you know, presentation of uh, what he's calling the Gods and Monsters Chapter 1 of the DC Universe. Maybe there's a pro- maybe the, the Flash 2 is, is already slated in, in, in Chapter 1, or maybe it isn't, who knows. But I, I have a very strong feeling that this film is going to do very, very well. And just as an art, it's as a piece of art itself. I hope it does. I don't. I don't pray for this film's downfall. I know a lot of people are trying to boycott it because of Ezra Miller, and I don't think that I'm not there. That's and I, I'm not gonna get there. I think that's just childish. There are so many other people that work their ass off on this film, on every film. People don't talk about the gaffers. People don't talk about uh, everyone. You know, all the crew members working under Iatsi, the the lighting. Um, the production design, obviously the director, Andy Muschietti, uh, you have, a, there's a, hundreds of people working on a set. All those people work their ass off to bring this film together. They should not be punished because of one person's actions. So I've never felt that this film shouldn't come out. Now, if Ezra Miller like murdered somebody or did something on that level, and that's not to say that what he's done is not bad. I've, I've said I think you I think you probably understand at this point. I think he should be fired. So clearly, I think what he's done is 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 bad. But it, barring something as as extreme as like a murder or something like that, this <laughs> this film should release just because of all the other hardworking actors, hardworking crew members, everybody else that worked on this film. They deserve to see this piece of art that they've devoted time resources, blood, sweat, and tears into. So, but it seems like moving forward, they will continue, Ezra Miller will continue playing the character. What are your thoughts on this? I think you know where I stand on it. Uh, Look, if you disagree with me on, on this topic, totally fine. Totally fine. Let me know why. Let's have a conversation. I think the problem with media today is people cannot disagree with one person without disrespecting that said person. You can disagree with somebody and still show respect. I've talked about this many times. 
So if you disagree with me, totally fine. But, you know, tell me your position. Tell me how you feel. I'm just curious, right? Maybe I can see where you're coming from and, and, and whatever. But yeah, so let's move on to something a little more light. I thought I would talk about that first because that article came out yesterday from The Hollywood Reporter. But let's move on to the next topic. So fans have been wondering for a while now who the Fantastic Four, who the next set of actors are going to play these characters of the Fantastic Four. There's been so many names thrown out. There has been, obviously, a lot of people want John Krasinski to to return as a character. There has been uh, the actor from Andor. I can't remember his name. His name has been thrown around. Penn Badgley's name has been thrown around. You have so many actors. Mostly, when, when, when we've heard about these casting reports, it's pretty much only been about Sue Storm and Reed Richards. We haven't really heard a lot of names going around for Ben Grimm and Johnny Storm. Uh, although there was there was reports that Mila Kunis was 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 you know she was on the table to play the character. I don't actually believe that. I think that was I think that was fake news. But it seems like now we have our cast of the Fantastic Four. It's not official, but it's coming from very trusted, credible industry insiders. And for those of you who pay attention to the scooping scene, the name My Time to Shine Hello should ring a bell because whoever this person is, is, is has almost a perfect track record, all things considered. Now, nobody gets everything. There's, there's, I don't think there's any scooper out there with 100% credibility. Sometimes things change. Maybe one thing that was reported was true at that time, but then maybe down the road, plans change. Who knows? But according to My Time to Shine Hello, the current cast, well, sorry, the, the official cast, the, the, the final candidates that have all apparently agreed, and they're, 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 this is them. It is Adam Driver. As Reed Richards, Margot Robbie as Sue Storm, Paul Mescal as Johnny Storm, and David Diggs as The Thing, a.k.a. Ben Grimm. My first thoughts, amazing, incredible, great casting, Marvel nailed it. The only thing I'll say, David Diggs, I don't, I'm not too familiar with this actor, but I'm sure he's a great actor, and at the end of the day, he's going to be playing The Thing, so I... I it's mostly going to be CGI, and it's pretty much going to be like what Bradley Cooper did with, with Rocket. Uh, but he has a long history of voice acting. He's done voice acting for Disney, I believe, so I'm, I'm not I'm not too worried about that. But Paul Mescal, I haven't seen any of his films, but I do know that he was nominated for a fucking Oscar last year. So that means something for his film After Sun, which I do want to get around to watching at some point. The Margot Robbie, I mean, we all know Margot Robbie, she, she's... Amazing actress. There's really not much I have to say about her. Adam Driver. I've talked about him before. I'm a huge, I'm a huge fan of his. I think he is one of the greatest actors working today in the industry. I've I've waxed rhapsodic about Marriage Story, Silence. Um, I, obviously, he was in the Star Wars films. But if I'm gonna, if I'm introducing Adam Driver. To somebody and I'm telling him like if you've never seen a film go watch one of his films I would not suggest Star Wars I would suggest probably Marriage Story and he's done a slew of other films but for me I still think his best performance was Marriage Story I haven't seen his most recent film he did with Noah Baumbach White Noise which that film was oddly 
it's it's creepy that film because I the, the the plot is an oil truck crashing and and essentially infuming the atmosphere and and infuming Ohio with with chemicals that could potentially harm people. That literally happened several months later. <laughs> so uh, pretty interesting there. But this is our cast, and and a lot of people are. Are, are feeling the same way I am. They're excited. And some people still want John Krasinski. Look, I'm going to be honest. People got to get over that. I, I, I get there's a lot of people that, that love John Krasinski. And I, I'm a fan of his as well. I think he's an amazing actor. I think he's arguably a better director. And I'm excited to see his film, If. Uh, that was teased at CinemaCon. I think that comes out sometime next year. I'm looking forward to it. I'm a fan of his. And look, if he ended up playing Reed Richards, I wouldn't uh, be campaigning for somebody else. But I, I've I, I've always said, not on this podcast, between conversations with my friends, I have always said Adam Driver would be an amazing Reed Richards. And I've brought this story up before, and I don't mean to bring it up again. But if you haven't heard, um, I've, I've told this story before. Like two years ago, me and my friends were talking about the Fantastic Four, and I made a prediction. I, I told them this. I said, I, I, I predict that Adam Driver will end up being Reed Richards and there was no reports at that time there was no nothing I remember my friends were like ah I don't I don't see it I don't think it's gonna happen here we are it really that story doesn't mean shit it just it, it's just to show you that I've, I've always thought that he'd be great as his character so I'm happy to see him playing the character I think a lot of people don't see him as Reed Richards for a couple of reasons number one his current hair he seems to really like this longer hairstyle and I don't think people can can picture him with that short, slick back cut with the gray sideburns. Uh, and then I think the second reason why people don't see him as this hero is because of Star Wars. And if you've seen any other film beyond Star Wars, you know that this guy has range. He can play he can play someone who's evil, but he can also play somebody who is heroic, who has um, good morals and, and good ethics and and. and Good intentions. He's a great actor, so I think I think he'll kill it. So, uh, yeah, I think this is amazing. I, I really want to check out Paul Mescal because I've heard this guy is a really good talent. And sooner sooner than later, I'm going to watch his film After Sun because he was nominated for Best Actor for that. Yeah. So um, let's see here. Let's read the article here. Uh, Yeah, it says, the batch of images feature Adam Driver, Margot Robbie, Paul Mescal, David Diggs. As mentioned, there have been reports circling all, all of these actors. Some reports have been around longer than others. Adam Driver would play Reed Richards, a.k.a. Mr. Fantastic. Margot Robbie would play Sue Storm, a.k.a. The Invisible Woman. Paul Mescal would play Johnny Storm, a.k.a. The Human Torch. David Diggs would play Ben Grimm, a.k.a. The Thing. So... Oh yeah, and then it says down below, it says there are these are certainly some interesting choices, especially when fans consider that John Krasinski played a variant of what would potentially be Adam Driver's character. Okay, I'm not gonna go on and read read on the rest, but look at the at the end of the day, Adam or not Adam Driver, John Krasinski had about five minutes of screen time, and I don't think there was that much to really get overexcited about. You know, he did his thing, he said his couple of lines, and then he got shredded by Wanda. That was pretty much it. Um, yeah, so I've, I I think Adam Driver is a better actor. I'm, I'm just being honest with you, and I think this is I think this is great casting. This is arguably some of the best casting Marvel has. If this is true, and this is not confirmed, I have to remind myself of that. If this is true, I think this is some of the best casting Marvel has done 
in a very long time. And Marvel hasn't really done a bad job with their casting. They seem to, to do very well with their casting. But, yeah. Let me know what you guys think. Now, let's move on to... Uh, to some of these across the Spider-Verse reviews. And I'm going, to, I'm going to be seeing the film tomorrow. So I'll have my review very shortly. But let's read what some, some other people are saying. Because the film is apparently just as good, if not better, than the first. So let's jump into some of these reviews here on Rotten Tomatoes. The film currently holds a 97% uh, with 29 reviews. So very, very good. And uh, here we go. One person said, out of every multiverse, this is the easiest to root for. Another person said, it's dynamic and intriguing. Through the detail and the emotion can get lost in the splurge. <laughs> Setting a new benchmark for a diverse, agile, breathtaking animation. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse is as striking as non-live action films come. Uh, somebody said, slow start. Oh, this comes from Grace Randolph. Slow start, but once the movie gets going, it's a masterpiece once again. The sequel leans even more into its artistic impulses, which will thrill comic book fans, but might leave casual moviegoers behind. Miles uh, Miles Morales continues to be a fantastic character. Okay, Sounds like a lukewarm review. Um, somebody said here, Daniel Solzman says, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse has the right mix of Character development, emotional stakes, and action to make it a comic book film masterpiece upon arrival in theaters. Let's read one more here. Uh, somebody said, Eric Eisenberg, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse is everything you want it to be, everything it should be, and more. So, it sounds like this is a, this is a masterpiece, according to a lot of people. And uh, where, where do I stand on the first film? <clears throat> I, I really enjoyed it, but I, I'm I don't think it's the I don't think it's the best Spider-Man film of all time, personally. I think it's up there for sure. Uh, but I'm seeing a lot of people call this film the best Spider-Man film of all time. Now, could that be prisoner of the moment? Could that be reactionary? I'll be the first to admit. I have, I have done this before myself. I have watched a movie and either said it's like one of the best, if not the best. So I have done that before. And then retrospectively, after a couple of days of thinking about it, I, my, my, posi my position changes and I come back to reality. And I think, okay, you know, that was a good movie, but I don't think that was the best movie in this franchise. Could, this, could we be seeing that? Absolutely. But I would lean towards no. Because of how good that first film was to to most people the majority of people consider this film like right up there with Spider-Man 2 uh Spider-Man No Way Home some people and like I said a lot of people think that this is the greatest or the first one rather was the greatest Spider-Man film of all time and if that's their opinion that's their opinion I totally respect it I just I don't feel the same but then again I I'm I don't want to sound cynical or jaded but I'm just not the biggest animation fan to begin with. So I'm not necessarily the, the main audience that this film is, is, is aiming towards. I'm going to see this film tomorrow with some of my friends. And who knows, maybe I'll watch it and maybe I'll, I'll feel that this is the best Spider-Man film of all time. I don't think I'm going to feel that. But when I enter the auditorium, I'm going to check out all of my maybe preconceived notions. I'm going to leave that at the door as every 
person should when they're seeing a film. They should just go in on a blank canvas and just let the film come to them. And then when they walk out, then they'll have their opinion and have their thoughts. A lot of people go in with the... They're going in either already telling themselves this is the greatest fucking film I've ever I'm ever going to see, and on the inverse, a lot of people will go in saying this is going to be horrible, I hate it already, even though I've never seen it. I'm not going in with that either of those mindsets. I'm going in on a blank canvas, and I'm going to let this film happen, and then I'm going to talk about it on the podcast. So normally, I would probably say that this is hyperbole, this is reactionary, because I have done that before. I think a lot of us have. Sometimes we're just for just fans. And oftentimes when these comic book films come out, it almost takes two viewings to really give a clear, concise analysis on how you feel about it. Film like film reviews and film in general is all subjective. It's there's there's never you're right, you're wrong. It's as Dan Mural Dan Mural said this before when he talked about uh, film criticism. I think he he I'm paraphrasing, but he said something along the lines of film uh, film criticism is not a debate; it is a discussion. So when you give your discussion and when you give your opinion about the film, I think you should specifically with comic book films. I think because a lot of times we that first viewing we are going in as kids we're going in as just that inner child that inner fan in us that is just pure excited we just want to sit down turn our brain off and just shove our face with candy and snacks and just enjoy this spectacle once we get that first viewing out of our system we go back for that second viewing we know what we we know what to expect and then we can go in with a little more clarity so i'm going to talk about it tomorrow and, uh, or excuse me, um, in a few days, I'm going to try and see it a second time before I talk about it on the Sunday episode of the podcast. But I, but I would tend to believe, unlike most cases, because in most cases, I would say that all this reception for the film is probably exaggerative, is probably hyperbole. But because of the massive success of the first film, I tend to believe that this is truly how a lot of people feel. And I think they're 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 probably it's I don't I, I don't even want to say they're probably right because once again it's subjective. So that person could be right in how they feel. You're right in how you and how you feel about the film. So, um, and it, we we have to talk about the animation of this film. I've just said I am not a big fan of of animation of of that genre of, of filmmaking. It's just not, I respect it. I respect the craftsmanship behind it. I know it's incredibly challenging. I could never do what those people do in designing the animation. It's just like, it's like magic to me. It's just not my, it's, it's just not what I prefer to watch personally, but you cannot even deny this film has almost become a pioneer in this style of animation. We're seeing so many other films adopt it with the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie that's coming out this year has the same kind of animation style and I'm sure there's other films that have adopted this style as well. So it's it's become this this first film has now become like a trailblazer in in in, in the animation industry. So uh yeah. Let me know what you guys think. Have you got your tickets for Across the Spider-Verse? There is also this is the second film. There's already it's already been announced that the that the third film in the trilogy, Beyond the Spider-Verse, I think is what it's called. That comes out next year, I think. 
And a little question for you guys. Do you think, because there's been rumors that Toby and Andrew and Tom Holland are going to be in this film in an animated form. Actually, there's also been rumors and reports that they could be in this film live action wise. So we could see that sort of Roger Rabbit kind of kind of deal going on there. Do you guys think in any you know version, animated or live action, do you think we're going to see them cameo in this film? I'm probably going to say no, because if they have... Um, if they have appearances in this film, just the way the internet works, it would already be out there. It would already be on YouTube. It would already be in, in, in discussion forums, and I haven't seen it anywhere yet. So I'm probably going to say that they're not in this film, but if they're not in this film, I think that they're probably saving them for the third film. It's inevitable. We all want to see it. And at some point, you know, I hope Marvel and, and Sony with their, you know, joint uh, collaboration, because obviously... Marvel doesn't own the rights to the Spider-Man character live-action-wise. Actually, I think animated as well. Sony owns the rights, and they're sort of, you know, leasing them or licensing licensing the the, the rights out to Marvel. I hope they can work together to eventually bring a live-action version of Miles Morales to the MCU, because that's something I would love to see. Um, but yeah, so look out very soon for my review. I'll it, it it'll it'll be up. Hopefully on the next episode, if I don't, if if I can get a second viewing by then, because uh, the episodes are Sunday and Wednesday. Now, and just in terms of the schedule, let me know what you guys think. Would you rather have an episode on a Friday or a Monday, or or the Sunday and Wednesday work just as well, or would you rather see a third episode on a Friday? Because Friday, to me, at least from my personal data, my tracking, I seem to get a lot more of you watch or excuse me listening on Fridays rather than Sundays and Wednesdays. So let me know what you guys think. Um, but yeah, so let's move on to the final topic of the day, a recurring topic on the Wednesday episodes. What have I watched lately? So let's get into that. So this week was a little bit busy for me. I had some auditions I had to do, so I didn't have a lot of time to watch uh, movies and TV. Um, but I did watch one movie and I watched it yesterday and that was The Aviator directed by Martin Scorsese. And Leonardo DiCaprio. And I've heard about this film and I've, I've really, I've wanted to check it out. I've wanted to to watch it, excuse me, for a long time. Uh, but it's just, it's a really long movie. It's like almost three hours. I think it's two hours and 50 minutes long. So it's, uh, you definitely have to reserve some time to watch this film. Um, and it's funny that originally this story, because it's about a real person named Howard Hughes, who's a famous film director and aviator. Uh, directed some of some classics like you know Hell's Angels and the original Scarface, uh, but this story of this biopic was originally going to be directed by Christopher Nolan, and Christopher Nolan recently actually talked about this in an interview. He wanted to get Jim Carrey to play Howard Hughes, and when I sat back and I thought about that, that is actually brilliant casting. That would that actually would have worked so well because Howard Hughes, for those of you who didn't know, uh, well, I don't know if this is confirmed, but it, it seems to be that he struggled with OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, and it caused his behavior to sometimes be you know a, a little erratic, a little impulsive, and Jim Carrey brings a lot of those chaotic you know eccentric vibes to so, to a lot of his performance that's why some so many people love his his, his performances he's just kind of quirky and, and I'm, not, I'm not saying Jim Carrey struggles with OCD not at all but I'm saying I think 
some of his tendencies as an actor, I think, would have lent very well to to that to to playing a performance like that. And I'm not saying Jim Jim Carrey. I don't think if Christopher Nolan was directing this, I don't think he would direct Jim Carrey the way Jim Carrey is traditionally directed in a lot of the comedies that he's acted in, like Dumb and Dumber. And no, it would be very it'd be treated with a lot of respect, like a biopic should be treated with. <clears throat> Um, that's not to take away from DiCaprio. I'll talk about his performance in a sec. I'll actually talk about it now. I think he did an incredible job. Uh, it's DiCaprio. He, the bar he has set just for himself, it's, it's you, there's an expectation of, of exceptional acting. And, and once again, his performance is right up there with all the others that he's done. I think he did an incredible job. There's really not much I can say. It's it's Leonardo DiCaprio. You know what to expect at this point. He's a world-class actor. Uh, Martin Scorsese directed this film with the integrity and the respect that a biopic in a, in a true story deserves, as he normally does. That's why I'm excited for Killers of the Flower Moon. I think that film is going to feel... There's going to be stakes. There's going to be... It's, it's not going to shy away from telling the truth. And I think there there needs to be more, more more directors taking those risks of of telling a story without glorifying it the way we see a lot of biopics nowadays. That's why I talked about this in my last episode. That's why I'm not particularly excited for the Michael Jackson biopic coming out in a few years because his family is apparently going to be heavily involved with the decision making of the storytelling and the production and. It's it's it feels like you're wasting a talented director like Antoine Foucault who's directing that Michael Jackson biopic. Now he's going to have to cater to the needs and the and the and the demands of Michael's family, and uh, and and it seems like with that they're going to shy away from maybe maybe touching upon some of the controversies in Michael Jackson's career. Now they're going to be picking and choosing things to talk about. And that's not how you tell a story of a real-life person. You have to cover all aspects of it. You cover the good, and you cover the bad. You can't neglect those things. Um, To take it a step further, I think Michael Jackson's nephew is going to be playing him in the film. Has his nephew ever even acted before? I mean... You tell me. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he has. I just I've never heard of him acting. I know, with my limited knowledge about his nephew, apparently he's a very good dancer and a very good stage performer in that regard. But I don't think he has maybe limited, if not any, acting experience on film and television. Maybe in the theater. Who knows? But yeah. So that's why, like, a biopics like that, I don't get excited for that because I want a, a true story being told in front of us. I don't want it heavily heightened, heavily glorified. That that's how I kind of felt about the Bohemian Rhapsody uh, biopic. I sort of felt that about Elvis. Elvis was a, a good movie overall, and I thought Austin Butler was amazing in it. But I felt I felt that film was was very heightened, very stylized. You have Baz Luhrmann directing it. And I I love Baz Luhrmann. I think is Part of the heightened experience is the reason why I enjoy some of his films, like uh, The Great Gatsby, I think is probably still my favorite film of his, but that's not about a true story, that's about a, a fictional tale, so I think you, you have to switch the gears a bit when you're telling a real story, but anyways, uh, this film was incredible, we see the we see the breakdown of a man happening before our very eyes, and we see the little signals in the film that, that could hint towards there's some underlying there there could be some underlying issue going on with him 
When he asks for his plate of food, he has his peas very correctly organized in rows. And when Jude Law's character reaches over and picks one of those peas out, to, you know, most people that wouldn't really bother them. If anything, that would kind of just, they'd laugh it off and it'd be a joke. But he he specifically asked for them to be arranged that way because that's part of his routine. That's part of his, you know, that's part of his order. I'm not a psychologist by any means. I'm just a dude that talks about fucking movies into a mic when there's far more important things going on in the world. I've just, this is just what I've noticed. And once Jude Law picked up that pee off of his plate when they're at the, the whatever, the, the dinner, it bothered him so much and he couldn't even continue, he couldn't even eat another bite of his steak, of his peas, and he had to leave ultimately. And credit to Kate Blanchett, great acting in this scene. She said so much without saying anything at all. She knew exactly what was going on. You could see in her expression, maybe she might not have known exactly what was happening because at that point they had just met. So I don't think she knew that he had obsessive, an, an obsessive compulsive disorder, but she could tell that something in that moment bothered him and something kind of sw- flipped a switch. And he, she knew that like she could see a change in his attitude and his demeanor. So great acting to DiCaprio, great act to everybody. It was incredible film. And we see, now, this is the part that I'm curious if this happened in the exact way it did. When we see in the third act, when he's reached his, like, rock bottom, when he has fully, you know, lost control in himself, and we see him basically, he's, he's, he's living in this auditorium. He hasn't left there in probably months. He's surrounded in his own filth and... and, and and it's so funny because, well, it's not, sorry, it's not funny. It's it's ironic because, you know, he's so concerned about germs and everything, but he surrounded himself in his own urine. And you could see he has it carefully arranged in all these empty milk bottles, which is another thing, another indicator about his his obsession in the, in, early in the film. He specifically asks for milk in the bottle with the with the cap still on. And he's got all these empty bottles with his urine in it correctly aligned, and he's got tissue everywhere because he can't he can't touch a like any, you can't touch appliances or, or a doorknob because he's afraid of germs. So it's 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 tragic. It's it's very heavy subject matter. If you're somebody that struggles with this disorder, I I would caution you to watch this film. It could be very triggering. Uh, and I think DiCaprio, not that I've dealt with this, but I. I it, it seems like he gives an authentic performance to somebody that would struggle with this with this disorder. Uh, it's 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 a great performance and it's an incredibly well directed film. Um, yeah. So did I even talk about what it's about? It says here the long line is a biopic depicting the early years of legendary director and aviator Howard Hughes' career from the late 1920s to the mid 1940s. Now we see in the film this you know obsessive behavior he has. It actually lends uh, to his career. Uh, we, we see in the film, obviously, he's spending all the studio's money on his film, Hell's Angels. And when they finish shooting it, finally, after years of crafting, making specific planes that have never been made just for this picture, once he's done making the film, everybody's celebrating. And John C. Riley's character, who's essentially like the financial advisor to DiCaprio, he's, he's celebrating. And then DiCaprio pulls him aside to a theater. And this is in the 1920s. I, th- I think at this point, this was in the, the the latter half of the 20s when uh, 
when we when we saw the transition between silent pictures to talking pictures, DiCaprio pulls John C. Riley aside while they're celebrating the wrap of this film they've been working on for three plus years, and he says, "We have to reshoot the whole thing because this is what the audience wants to see wants to see now." And he pulls him aside to an auditorium to where people are watching a film with sound. And this is probably at this at this point, this is probably one of the first movies with sound. And you could tell people are laughing, people are cheering, they're enjoying it. And Howard Hughes tells John C. Riley's character, he says, like, we have to reshoot the film with sound because this is this is the future of cinema. And I think that was a moment where maybe his, um, well, you could still call it obsessive. I think it turned out to be successful and, and benefited the film overall because look where we are now. And we couldn't imagine watching a movie without sound. But yeah, so um, that's my little review, if you want to call it that, of this film. Very, very powerful performance. Um, I don't know why I've been on this this kick lately of watching biopics. I talked uh, last week about uh, A Beautiful Mind, which is about the Nobel Prize winner uh, uh, John Nash, who struggled with paranoid schizophrenia. That is also based off a true story, and, and, and once again, it, it has, it's not directed by Martin Scorsese, it's directed by somebody else, but you could tell there is, there is a respect to the true story and the true life story of, of, of this person behind it, so it doesn't feel like it's not glorified, it's not heightened, um, but yeah, so... Everyone, that's probably going to wrap up today's episode of Unbashful. If you stuck around this long, I want to thank you very much for your time and listening. I really do appreciate it. If you enjoyed the episode, leave it a uh, leave it a rating. Uh, I think Apple Podcasts. I think Apple Podcasts and all the podcasting apps do like the stars. So leave whatever stars you think I am in to to you, <laughs> and uh, share it to other people. Download it so you can listen to it on your commute to work or when you're running on the treadmill. However, you listen to podcasts. Everyone stay safe, stay healthy, stay happy. I'll see you on the next one.